good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. In, in night prayer, there's a, a examination of conscience, and then uh, what follows is a tri- a triple petition. So something like this: Lord Jesus, you have shown us the way to the Father. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. So the other night, I'm going on my merry way, preparing for sleep and grumbling a bit about prayer because I'm afraid I'm going to get my motor running again in my brain. It's going to be hard to get to sleep. It often happens things spark during prayer. Other times, of course, nothing sparks and I just fall asleep. But I do a pretty speedy examination of conscience, and then I pray the first of those three petitions. Lord Jesus, you have shown us the way to the Father. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And, I, and it just hit me. It's, that's a great, interesting phrase. I mean, the way to the Father. Not the way to the Spirit or the way to the altar, uh, but, but the way to the Father. Something very specific is in mind here. And, you know, so often happens, I probably just glide over it regularly. But that night, I fastened on it. And I said, you know, if my 20-year-old son said to me, Dad, what the heck does this mean? Jesus shows us the way to the Father. What is the way to the Father? Now, I know theologically, we can probably all drum up explanations, right? But it's not as easy as just pulling down a map and tracing a line, you know, here, here's the way, or entering an address in Google Map and then following the steps to get there. Of course, Jesus shows us the way to the Father. I can do a gospel presentation. I can quote the catechism. But each of those wouldn't have the sense of story that lies behind that phrase. Uh, So probably the best place to go would be John 14, where there is this truly rich dialogue between Jesus and Thomas and Philip. And as I said earlier, Judas actually gets into it as well. It's, It's a rich dialogue, not an easy dialogue. This is what's going on. This is the story. Jesus has just come to Jerusalem as king. The Pharisees are frustrated. They realize nothing they're doing is working uh, to stop him, and the whole world is now gone after him. Then there's a strange passage. It turns out that some Greeks went to Philip and asked if they could see Jesus. We don't know who these Greeks are. Philip says, hmm, let me go talk to Andrew. And Andrew and Philip then go to see Jesus. They bring these Greeks to Jesus, and that's when Jesus makes this announcement. You have to wonder why the appearance of these Gentiles with their request uh, to see Jesus triggers the words that follow, but that's kind of beside the point. The big words uh, that Jesus offers to this little audience uh, are pretty significant. They're not a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. They're not a list of the miracles he's done or the signs he's performed. What he does is simply predict his death. Here's the phrase. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In the Gospel of John, that's a key phrase. That's a phrase that picks up from the uh, Cana, the wedding feast at Cana, where Jesus says to the Blessed Mother, my hour has not yet come. Here he does say, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And what follows right after that is the foot washing. Okay? 
He's obviously illustrating what he has just said. It's about service. Uh, now, this is, again, you, the setting here is strange. You've got these Greeks that show up. You have Jesus finally saying, this is the moment. My hour has come. You have this little uh, statement about service. Then there's the foot washing. I mean, the apostles are saying to themselves, what's going on here? They're expecting just the traditional Passover meal. They're getting a lot more than they bargained for. Then Jesus, knowing that he's probably troubled them a bit, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Okay, now we're getting warm here. Jesus is about to leave them. He's going to prepare a place for them. He promises to come back and take them with him to where he's going to dwell. Now, he's been with them for three years, and he seems to assume that they know the way to the place where he's going. But they clearly don't. Thomas isn't afraid to say, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, everybody else might be feeling the warm fuzzies about their hearts not being troubled, right? But not Thomas. Thomas is going to say, wait a minute, I don't know, Jesus, what you're talking about. I, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? So the rabbi, the teacher, the master, we don't know what you're talking about. Jesus thickens the plot at this point. He answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, clearly, this is what we mean when we say Jesus shows us the way to the Father. It's part of this story. But in truth, it doesn't seem like a very good answer to Thomas. I don't think Thomas immediately found it satisfying. I mean, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Now, just think in normal conversation. If a loved one's departing, and you ask how you can come to visit the loved one, you want to go where they're going, you say, I don't know where you're going. Uh, and since I don't know where you're going, I don't know the way to get to where you're going so I can come and visit you. So tell me, where are you going? And your loved one says what? I am the way. You, you, you'd say, you're not really answering my question. Now, we know Jesus, of course, is answering a question much deeper than the one that Thomas is asking. Uh, Jesus, we don't know the way. Jesus answers, I am. Now, this is one of the seven I am statements in John. You might think Jesus is not giving a very satisfying explanation here. But the apostles know he's a very serious guy. He's, they're not going to dismiss him as some sort of cryptic guru who sits around spouting little phrases, I am the way, that resemble the sayings you find in fortune cookies. This guy is their Lord, their master. They spent three years for him. They understand his compassion. They understand his depth. And when he says, I am the way, maybe some lights are going off. Because I am is the phrase from Exodus 3.14. The most vital thing you can know about Jesus is I am. He's identifying himself with 
the self-revelation of God to Moses before the burning bush in the book of Exodus. I am. That's the phrase by which God discloses his eternal nature to Moses. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's the invitation to know this person, meet this person, listen to this person, get to know this person, to trust this person, follow the person, converse with the person, relate continually to the person, to be loved by and to love this person. All else flows from this fundamental thing, to know that Jesus is as God is. He is the I am of God. God's self-giving in life, God's self-giving in love, God's self-expression in word and truth. This is embodied right before Thomas and the apostles. This is the way to the Father. Still, story's not over. Go back to the consternation of the disciples. They obviously don't cue in to the full meaning of Jesus' words here. So the problem remains. Jesus is leaving. We want to be with him. He says we know the way, but we don't. And when we press him, he gives us this mysterious, I am the way. Philip gets into the act at this point. He tries to cut through any of the fog that he thinks is there. He's thinking, Jesus said, I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So let's drop all this talk about Jesus being this mysterious way, Philip is saying. And he just kind of blurts out, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. In other words, can we put a quick end to this thing? This is getting a little confusing. Show us the Father. Drop all this mysterious stuff about the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So I'll go back to the original problem here. Lord, you have shown us the way to the Father. What is the way to the Father? He shows us the way to the Father because he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And this is what it means when he says he's the way to the Father. By fastening our attention on Jesus, by occupying our minds with him, we are on the way to the Father. Occupation with Christ is the way to the Father. Loving preoccupation with Jesus. But the love we have of Jesus actually has a task. It has a goal. Occupation with Christ is meant to lead to conformity to Christ. We are to become like him. Conformity to Christ is the goal. We're not just to be mesmerized by our affection and love for him. We're to imitate him and obey him. So you go down to verse 15. In the same story, remember this is all happening in one story. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So here we have a Trinitarian reference. The 
Another advocate means another of the same sort. So Jesus is leaving, and we'll see that in the ascension, by the way. The spirit of truth is coming. Another advocate of the same sort as Jesus. Jesus shows us the way to the Father. He also sends the spirit, in a sense, as a replacement for himself in order to, again, lead us to full union with the triune God. 